0: There we All go right. it flashes a bit, and then it will say start recording in just a second. There we go. All right. So, guys, welcome. This is your first time, and I'm glad to meet you. This is uh, Joni. Is that your name? Huh? No. Huh?
1: It's Joanne.
0: Joanne. Okay. All right. And uh, um, your name is what? Vaughn. Vaughn. Okay. From Vancouver. Good. All right. And you started off with, with a question. Um, and so the answer comes from that. There are three kinds of knowledges that one needs. And the first knowledge is the knowledge that nobody's going to do it for you. If you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it on your own. So, um, and here's part of the, the issue with that, there's in fact other suttas uh, where it is st- uh, stated in the sense of the impossible, that it's not possible for one human being to read the mind of another, but that was one of the things that the Buddha was accused of, and yet he denies that he could actually encompass the mind of another. And, and Achan Po was also, um, uh, let us say, gave me the the same lessons over and over and over again, and one of them was that you cannot read the mind of another person. You don't know what they're thinking. Therefore, you have to look. You have to investigate. That they'll give you enough information with their body language, but you cannot read anybody's mind. All right. So an example of that would be if you go to music lessons you have a piano teacher and you have piano lessons and then you go to the uh the, the next piano lesson and you have not practiced at all during the week the teacher's going to know that not because of what you say in fact every kid's going to lie and said yes i did practice but the reality is on the keyboard no not this week you didn't practice all right but we can't do that in the meditation hall You can't look at the scene the way that somebody's sitting and assume that you know what's going on within their own mind. can't do that. Well, from that position, that goes back then to the point that nobody's going to be able to help you change your mind. That you set the mind up in a set of circumstances when you were kids, everybody does. And then we keep those sort of what I call confirmation biases we learn, we, in fact we pick up a lot of data ignorantly, when we're little kids we don't know nothing we are given a set of rules, we, we watch mommy lie and so we learn to lie, we watch mommy go to church and so we gotta go to church, and we watch people do stuff and you know, monkey see, monkey do yeah. and so that's how we learn things ignorantly or not, we learn it and then we keep it And one of the things that we learned when we were really young is is that we need help. We can't dress ourselves. We can't feed ourselves. And so we get into that state of ideas of that we need help. And so one of the first things that a student with meditation has to come to understand is, is that he's going to have to do it all, all by himself or herself. That in fact, that's one of the things about psychology and psychotherapy is that since we're paying a fee of several hundred dollars an hour okay Mr. Psychotherapist do your job, make me happy (laughs) (laughs) we've got a business arrangement here, I paid you good money you make me good in two hours (laughs) right, or maybe again next week exactly so Um, and so this is a major point where we have to get to the point that we're going to have to do it ourselves Okay, the second doubt is a a major one in the sense of, am I up to the practice? Because every time the hindrances come back up and we see those hindrances, we get the idea, oh, this is hard. Oh, I can't meditate. Oh, I don't have good instructions. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Gawanka had a phrase he said that when the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. Now that's a very, very wholesome, noble statement. Never mind where the mind wandered off to.
2: Okay,
0: don't worry about that. You've got the mojo. You've got the idea all I have to do is drop that and come back. Okay? And then in fact, when this idea is fully mature... Then the student knows beyond the shadow of a doubt that no matter how obstructed the mind becomes with hindrances, no matter what the situation, no matter what's happening, we can clean it out right now. Throw that stuff out and come back to the moment, come back to the reality, come back to the way things are and see the truth of the matter, see reality as it is. Okay, that's the second knowledge, or that's actually uh, the, the second doubt, but it's absolutely the first real knowledge that, in fact, the Buddha talks about this as the first knowledge is, without a doubt, I know that I can throw those hindrances out of the mind and come back and see things the way that they are. That doesn't mean that this guy is completely free from hindrances, but we do know that we can throw them out We keep practicing. Seeing that we get some um, confidence going
2: Mm. okay, Okay.
0: And so that's the first doubt That actually is the real knowledge The first knowledge is is that I can do this But you built into that first doubt about I want help because I can't do it Now the second one is yes I can do this Mm. And then the third knowledge is the knowledge of um, the path. What is the path and what is not the path. The path to liberation is known. Okay. This is the knowledge that you have to have. Because that's what we were starting to talk about in the first place. The knowledge of what to do. What's the rest of your life going to be like? Well, you got it. You know that it's going to be the Eightfold Noble Path. That's what we're going to do here. We're going to keep practicing that. This, in fact, the entire teaching of the Buddha. He stated in, I think there's four different sutras that we found where he says specifically that he only teaches one thing, and that is dukkha, Duka, Naroda. That's the only thing that he teaches. And yet, look how many Buddhist books are filled with all kinds of stuff, and they they only touch the topic of the Four Noble Truths. It's like one subchapter, yeah, of, of the right. paragraph. And in fact, this is the only thing that the Buddha teaches. So everything that we're going to learn here is going to be in reference to the four noble truths of dukkha, 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 And you see how it's created. You see, you're the one who create but the world. In fact, fine. There were no human beings on this planet Earth. Planet Earth would be a, a real paradise. Sure. All the cities would fall apart, crumble, the highways would go, the uh, the automobiles would uh, uh, fall into a heap of uh, rust powder and then blow off into the wind.
2: <laughs>
0: Everything would be future is, it's humans and our is it's the humans and our hindrances, un- the humans and our misunderstandings, that cause and no but in fact it still is the only reason that it's not a paradise is because some humans think that it's not but in fact this is actually the Adam and Eve story you know the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis
2: definitely
0: <laughs> alright well um, to be honest with you it's a real story with a real morality to it. It's a moral tale, just like an Aesop's snake. However, Christians misunderstand the story completely. They get off into the magic. They talk about talking snakes. I mean, really. Right. Talking snakes. The next item on the list is the woman did it. It's her fault. Totally. Her Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adam took a bite of that apple just like Eve did she didn't have to talk him into it neither did the talking snake now what we're talking about here is, is that it's not an apple that's another piece of magic how could an apple do anything right in fact we have apples how many bushels of apples can a guy get and not get meaner tougher and spend more years in prison I don't think that apples and and attitude have a lot to do with each other, you know, and so that's another item of is this real? So there is the statement though that they ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Now eating of the fruit that means that we have to put up with the results of. We use the word fruit not in the sense of something that falls from a tree, but the fruit of the loom, the fruit of your labors, the fruit coin, we use that word in all kinds of ways, and so what that means is the results. We've got to put up with the results of our knowledge of good and evil. So, if we go around well, that's a good tree, but that's an evil tree. That tree's got green leaves, but wait a minute, it's got a few yellow leaves. I don't like yellow leaves. I'm going to pull that tree out of the ground, because I don't like trees that have yellow trees but Then I look at, oh no, There's other children. I haven't got some downright brown stuff on it. I'm going to have to pull that thing up, okay? And Hmm. so I'll go around destroying my paradise because I'm judging what I like and I don't like as good and evil. But that's the primary mistake that we make, is that what is considered good and evil, the criteria that we use for that is whether I like it or not. If I like it, it's good. And if I don't like it, it's got to be bad. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't we do that? Yeah. If, I, if if I like it, I need it. And if I don't like it, I got to get rid of it. But if I really like it, then it must be good. Mm-hmm. And if I really hate it, then it must be bad. Yeah. Okay? And so we don't really have much of a way of deciding to discern what is good and what is bad, because we keep going with our feelings instead. And well, what we need to do is to start watching the thoughts and the feelings to see how we connect other like this. To find out that we actually are creating the hell that our paradise actually is by our judgments, our bad feelings, our negative thoughts. So we'll um this is where the Eightfold Noble Path comes in. The first thing that comes in is right view. Now, in fact, to say it, um, you guys have enough right view that you can get to fall. So that was the beginning. You have to have some right view to get started. In a particular instant, the first thing that happens is to remember to have right view. This what is the word Tuyasaki, and it's uh, called mindfulness in Western English language. use the word mindfulness. But that word, by the way, doesn't have much meaning. In fact, I never even heard of the word mindfulness until I was in Ludo. The right. <laughs> There's a lot of English language words that seem like that they were made up wholesale, put into the English language, to describe things about Buddhism that they really didn't have a translation for. Right. Okay, so sati does not mean mindfulness. It means to break up and to be in the present moment. Like okay, when you stub your toe, you're walking through the hall, down the hall, you're thinking about something or another, you're carrying books maybe, and you stub your toe. If you stub your toe, immediately you wake up. You've become aware of your surroundings. you know where you are, but a lot of us spend most of our time daydreaming. We can mm-hmm. h- drive a car down the street as dangerous as it is and think about something on the other side of town or something that happened last year and not watching not being that. okay So this is the thought you actually means come out of the mental sense and come into the physical sense of the eyes, the ears, the way we feel, Going on, something like that. Wake up. And then the next thing we do is to do a real investigation. Did or looking? Now, uh, in um, the English language translation, they talk about right view. And there are kinds the of views, world view, point of view, federal like, which it. is much more likely concepts. So we're not using the word G-O-G as a uh, noun, it as the verb to actually look, to okay. actually investigate. So investigating is not mm-hmm. the same thing as an investigation. An investigation is the result of investigating, right? And so this is what we're actually doing, we're investigating without coming to a conclusion. Because if you come to a conclusion, then you're more than likely stop investigating and then things change and the furniture gets rearranged and you stub your toe again because you're not watching where you're going again because you thought that you knew where the furniture was. <laughs> okay. So this is the whole quality then of um, right view is, is that we keep looking and keep looking, keep noticing, keep coming back to the present moment. Here now. Mm-hmm. Let's look at what's going on. let you look at what's going on in four regards. The four regards, by the way, is the Satipatthana, the four foundations of mindfulness, or the four foundations of Satipatthana. which is take up and investigate. You want to investigate the body, you want to investigate the feelings, We're going to investigate the mind and the mind states and the situations and that particular thing. And then we're going to investigate the contents of the mind. uh, This is what Panasati is, is these four foundations of mindfulness. It's the book, it's a memorable book. And when we find hindrances, we're going to change. So, this is the change. This is what we mean by right effort. Right effort is actually part of the Eightfold Noble Path, and yet people don't understand it, and so they wind up putting either too little or too much effort in. You just say that the Patriot puts in too little effort, and the Mahasi puts in way too much effort. (laughs) You the right amount of effort. And so here's how we can look at the just the right amount of effort is imagine that you're standing on uh, in the highway, you're out on the road and you look up and down and there's no traffic and then you look and you see, here comes a great big truck. In fact, he may even be having his horn blowing. He's telling you, I see you, do you see me? Okay, mm-hmm. there are three possibilities, one possibility, is just to stand there and let the truck run over us. That's to see where, okay, here the truck comes and slam, and I'm flat on the pilot. okay? That's <laughs> okay, too. <laughs> and then the other one is to pull a pie. You know Popeye the Sailor Man with the spinach can? Oh, yeah. 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 All right, well, what is Popeye going to do when he sees that truck coming? He's going to go, da-da-da, and he's going to hold himself out, and that truck's going to run right into him, right? (laughs) So, one of them, in fact, both of them have almost advanced knowledge, just a little bit of knowledge, one, two, or three seconds. They can see something coming, and then they get hit. So that means they've got two kinds of dukkha. One, they saw the duca coming. That's dukkha enough by seeing here it comes, and then number two, it actually arrives and gets you. All right? But there's another way of doing it, and that is, is that when the when the duca or the big truck is coming down the road, all we have to do is step out of the way of the truck.
2: That's
1: okay. the wise, the wise choice. Pardon? That seems like the wise choice. Yes. Why
0: don't they teach that in their meditation classes? Why don't they teach to take the right effort to just to move out of the way? To change your thoughts. To change your unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts. This is what it's really all about. The right effort to make a change. Go ahead. When you say change the unwholesome
1: thoughts to wholesome thoughts, does that mean come to the four foundations of
0: mindfulness? Investigate? No, no. Okay. Well, yes, two, all right. Then, in fact, um, here's a way of, of thinking about it. In fact, the, cu- the question that you ask, you ask it very early, but almost every student will ask this question, what's the difference between a wholesome and an unwholesome thought?
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: here's the way of looking at it. If it is in the past, it's more than likely going to be unwholesome. Not always. There are times when you can reminisce and recollect and tell stories and all kinds of things. And in fact, you'd be pretty uh, badly off if you forgot everything. You'd be like a tender baby again. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that is useful and valuable. But generally, if we're sitting in the meditation hall and we wake up to recognize that we're thinking about something in the past, more than likely that's unwholesome. Hmm okay if we are planning for the future now there are some plans that we actually do need to make occasionally we have to go to the bank occasionally we have to go do visas or things like that and so there are some plans that we have to make so when we start spending a lot of time doing a lot of planning that's a hindrance to pre- that prevents us from being in the here now where paradise lies that in fact hell is in the past and dangerous unknown territories are in the future. But the paradise is right here, right now. So if we're, if we're thinking about the past, thinking about the future, those are dangerous areas. But if you're right here in the present moment, looking at what's going on now, then that's more than likely going to be wholesome. Especially if you're looking at the four foundations, like if you're looking at the body, what's your breathing like? What posture do you have? How are you sitting? Uh, you you probably heard the phrase, rising, falling, touching, sitting. Mm -hmm. This is all body, okay? The rising and the falling of the breathing, the uh, the touching is the touch of the air, the touch of the cloth, the touch of the skin, any crawling, creepy, crawling animals that's crawling across the surface of your skin, you should know it before they bite. And then the just sitting is the proprioceptic. What is your posture? Mm-hmm. How are you sitting? What's going on around you? You can also do that with the with the walking. So getting in touch with what the body is doing. But in order to make changes to the body, for instance, we can sit up straight. We can, if the if the, the legs have leg pain, we can move them so that we can adjust them so that we can get the body into a pleasant comfortable state Mm. and that we can change our breathing and so this remember is a right effort change model so one of the first things that we're going to do is to remember to take a long deep breath sati anapana sati (laughs) we're going to remember to take a long deep breath and then we're going to remember to take a long deep breath And so this is how we begin to do it. Now, the important point is, is that whenever we're sitting or practicing this, we want the body to be in a safe place. In fact, we don't want the body out on that highway. It's got trucks, you know.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. We don't want to uh, meditate on the railroad tracks. We want to be in private, in seclusion, in an empty room, an empty hut, a pile of straw, sitting under a tree going off into the woods or into the wilderness where there's nobody around. This is in fact, the statement that I just made is in several sutras, I've rearranged it. Normally goes in to go to the forest, to the foot of a tree, an empty hut, to a pile of straw. Buddha did not mention meditation halls at all. But in fact, for many people, the meditation hall itself is a dangerous place. Why? Because I'm in there. Oh, they're looking at me. Oh, I have to do it this way and that way. Oh, I have to get along, et cetera, like that. And so the meditation hall can be a dangerous place. Right. And so make sure that when you are practicing, that you're practicing with the body feeling safe, secure, and comfortable. And I've got a reason for mentioning these three things. Safe, secure, and comfortable because if your body is not safe secure and comfortable how can you possibly talk yourself into feeling safe secure and comfortable right it's not real so we have to start with the real we have to actually get the body in a safe secure comfortable place and then we start with the sati of talking to ourselves about what's going on right now that in fact you can't control the breath unless you're controlling the mind So whatever you were thinking about before, when you actually do come back to the breath and take a long, deep in breath, now that's what you're thinking about, too, which is wholesome. You're in the here now. That, in fact, you can actually experience that breath with the understanding that this is breath of paradise, that this is good. I mean, enjoy your breathing. Mm -hmm. If you don't enjoy this next breath, then my recommendation is wait five minutes. Hold your breath. And then the next breath, you'll enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've held my breath. <laughs> okay. So Ooh, I, begin to start enjoying the breathing that it's keeping you alive. And you, And this is life itself. I mean, what's the point of being here now if you're already dead? I mean, at, at a funeral, there's a whole lot of here now for a whole lot of live people. But inside that coffin, the dead guy, he don't know nothing. He's not here now. He's gone, right? They're gone. Right. So, mm-hmm. so let's be alive. Only being alive can we be in here now to take in the input this happening right now rather than relying upon the past, the old data. Because the old data might be problematic. We're thinking about, for instance, the fight that we had with Aunt Susie yesterday, rather than thinking about how nice it is right now that I don't have to listen to her. (laughs) (laughs) That Aunt Susie, she's always on my case. (laughs) 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 It's it's unwholesome. Right, thoughts about um, concepts, ideas are unwholesome generally, but not always. An example of that is thinking about the Dhamma is wholesome. Why? Because the Dhamma is actually wholesome. So thinking about the hindrances and thinking about coming out of the hindrances, thinking about seeing through your own ignorance so that you can have wisdom and insight into the point of your feelings, into the point of contact. So when things contact you, you have some control over the way that you feel.
1: Can, concept, it, can concepts like impermanence or dukkha or
0: anatta be unwholesome as well? Is it like? No, because those are real things and they're happening generally right here, right now. Right.
1: What about the concept of awakening itself
2: or what awakening should feel like?
0: If you want it and you don't have it, it's a hindrance. And people do that a lot. In fact, they have a, they go to meditation and they um, uh, get bored, they have trouble and after a few days and all of a sudden they'll have a really good moment, a really, really good feel. Maybe um, uh, some insight into the nature of reality, or it might be just a pleasant daydream. And so they come out of that wanting it again. And so they may take that pleasant daydream that they've had and turn it into a uh, past life experience. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Or they may say, oh, well um this is what happened and they go and tell the teacher and the teacher who doesn't really understand what he's talking about that he says all that experience means that you are now a this or a that (laughs) okay (laughs) it's almost like saying that once you fall off a horse now you're a pony soldier (laughs) and that doesn't okay but that doesn't mean anything that in fact an individual experience really doesn't mean anything because it was just a here and now, and you've got lots of here and nows here they come one after another but if you think that it was a a special experience and then you want to have that experience again but you don't have it that's being back into the hindrances of wanting something you don't have and so in your case you've never had that awakening at all so Mm -hmm. now to you it's not even an experience it's just a mental concept to chase after. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you saw it fleeing down the street and now you're looking and you want it. Something like maybe a Lamborghini or a, a Maserati. You saw it go down the street and now you want one and you haven't even been in the thing yet. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is uh, actually quite common in Western uh, Buddhism because it's taught to us. We are raised Uh, to want things, to try to fix things, that thing is broken, okay? That Adam and Eve screwed up paradise. It's your job to fix it. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And in fact, it's not your job to fix all of everything. You can't fix the society. And yet look how much people get involved with politics, thinking that if I could fix politics, then I will feel better. The answer is you can't fix politics, but you can feel better. If you stop trying to fix things
2: <laughs>
0: and change your attitude instead. Okay. And the attitude is, is, that I can clean out my own mind. And then I take the effort to do that. And so that's one's right effort. So in review, we wake up, we look at what's going on. And then we make a change. Now, any thought that you're having could be increased, could be um, improved. Any thought that you've got could be improved. Then, in fact, if the thought itself could not be improved, then it must be a super-duper good thought. And in that case, we can congratulate ourselves for having such a super-duper good thought, and then, therefore, we can improve it. All right, so any thought can be improved. If you're having a thought about the argument that you had with Ann Susie, you can do something like say, well, goodbye, Susie. I don't need to see you right now. I've got better things to do. And we can kiss her goodbye and come back to the reality of the present moment and start looking at the body, looking at the way we feel. And in fact, kissing her goodbye makes us feel better already anyway. To start seeing her as a dear one rather than as someone that you got to fight with. And so we begin to change our attitudes about things in general. And part of the attitude is, I can handle this. I can fix this. I can take care of this. I can throw this stuff out of my mind and come back to the reality of the moment. And see things the way that they really are. Now, if we keep practicing this... These three things over and over and over and over again. What is that? Right. Um, Sati, to wake up, to be here now. Number two, to look at what's going on. And number three, to make a change. If we keep doing this over and over again, we begin to talk ourselves into feeling good. In other words, if you keep having the body feeling safe, secure and comfortable and you keep having thoughts of being safe, secure and comfortable, you begin to feel safe, secure and comfortable. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: That you can actually do something about the way that we feel. um, One of the ways that I say it is, is that people have been talking themselves into feeling bad their whole lives. Now it's time to start talking yourself into feeling good. (laughs) Yeah, I can We've been going over our to-do list and thinking of problems and trying to find solutions and thinking about how bad things can be if I don't get all of those problems solved. And here we go, just an unhappy civilization. Yeah. But if we would say that right now, there's no problems. Right now, this is paradise. Right now, things are good enough. Right now, I feel safe. Right now, I feel secure. Right now, I feel comfortable. Then something is added to that and that would be called satisfaction. We become satisfied with this present moment. So choiceless awareness, that choicelessness is almost never actual satisfaction. Here we're actually practicing becoming satisfied that this is good enough. I don't have to know everything. I feel good enough. I don't have to have all the magical experiences. This is good enough so we start working with this is good enough now this word um, these three four words that we've been talking about actually are part of the definition of the word sukka in Pali I've right. been working with sukka this whole time safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied that is sukka. sweetness as opposed to being insecure unsafe uncomfortable dissatisfied now, those things are actually Dukkha. But we're practicing not being in Dukkha, we're practicing being in Sukha. Sukha and Dukkha are exact opposites of one another. That when you're in the state of Sukha, that's what we're looking for. That in fact, that's the whole teaching of the Buddha, is to get the mind out of Dukkha and into Sukha right here, right now. <laughs> right here right now change your mind throw that stuff out come back to the present moment and enjoy the heck out of it because that's all you'll ever get is this present moment
1: <laughs>
0: when we keep I'm practicing sure. this satisfied go ahead
1: um sometimes in my meditations i feel like the sukka, like the pita sukha, is um so strong that i feel like it's like i'm going to explode do you, do you have any suggestions for that? Do you just like? Yes, you? go ahead and explode. Just explode. Is, is,
0: is that possible? Feels like it. No, I didn't ask you. Okay, no, no, feeling not, like you'll explode is possible. Actually exploding, is that no, possible? No, that's not possible.
1: Yeah, so okay. yes, there's a- Well, that, that
0: means that you're safe. Yeah, there's a bit of a uh, bit of a fear there. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Right, exactly. which is, is Mhm. So the, the fear that you'll explode actually robs yourself of the even higher experience that it could be. How high can you climb? How good can you feel? Because normally people are going to go up to a certain level and then they say, oh, if I go any higher than this, I'll fall or I'll explode or something. And then they stop themselves. And so it's actually a good idea to actually practice How good can you make yourself feel? What is your top? What is your high point? Can you go higher than that? How good can you feel? Right. And why in our society do we go around teaching our children how bad can you feel? (laughs) Can I feel bad enough to get forgiven? I mean, look at the word sorry in our language. We go around saying sorry this and sorry that. Students say sorry to me for all kinds I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and and that, that's the whole thing. In Thai language, by the way, they have the statement kutut. Kutut is actually the Thai word for sorry. But if you look at the actual definitions of the word, tut is the butt, And ko, in this regard, means to beat. Beat my butt is how the Thai people say I'm sorry. naturally very few people get their butt beaten when they say katut that's kind of a surprise like that but that's the whole point is is that we want to be forgiven and so the way that we practice that is by trying to prove that we've already been punished you don't have to punish me further But the noble attitude is, no, I'm not going to punish myself. Let me see you try. (laughs) (laughs) You bet you can't. bet you can't make me feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) That, by the way, is in in the sutra that we were talking about yesterday in the Lion's War, that the Buddha, even though people were criticizing, he says, "Nah, nah, I'm not going to be feeling insecure and unsafe right it's almost like
1: taking responsibility of your way of being right
0: that's another way of saying it the second noble truth actually when we understand the second noble truth its entire teaching is to say that you made this mess and you can clean up your own mess this is up to you this is your responsibility then in fact ability to respond is different than reacting almost always the whole life we go around reacting which means we just keep doing the same old actions over and over and over again we just react but with wisdom with uh with waking up and seeing truly what's going on and now finally we do have the ability to respond and therefore we do become able to respond So, I'm using the word slightly differently than it's used in the um, English language to get this point across is yes, you are responsible whether you take that responsibility or not. <laughs> so when we recognize that it's not our responsibility, which goes back to the very, very first doubt Mommy, can you pick me up? I can't stand up on my own. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what prayer is all about and supplication, you know, kissing ass on an ass you can't find. <laughs> oh my God.
2: <laughs> so,
1: so, uh, so, go ahead. so, 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 so we're, you're cultivating, cultivating suka is connected to, um, the, the right, right effort? Are we, is
0: this? Yes, absolutely. And what Your about right effort is to take you out of dukkha, This thought, and, and with to it, put you in the state
1: of sukkha, This thought. And do, does then does therefore right livelihood and right um, speech and right, all of those things just
0: take care of themselves if you're? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it always takes care of itself in this moment. As opposed to a precept and something off into the future, and this is how things are supposed to be, shoulds, woulds, coulds, rules, and all of that kind of stuff. But rather, are you going to open your mouth and lie to this guy right now, or are you going to tell him the truth? Are you going to pick up that brick and hit this guy, or not? That's right here in the here now. Here's an actual interesting way of looking at it. In the Jewish tradition, they, uh, in some parts of the Jewish tradition, they will have a designated dude, like a rabbi, that does the, um, uh, the killing of the goats in a particular way. It's called kosher. And the kosher is from the raising of the goat, the killing of the goat, the distribution of the meat, and the cooking. All of that has to do in a certain way. But now you have this, this kosher dude who walks out there. The, the, the family has bought the ram, and they want him to kill it. And he looks in, into the eyes of that ram. Um, have you ever seen any of the Puss and Boots movies to where we call them cat eyes, when they get really big eyes like this, okay? So the goat comes up to this um, um, uh, rabbi with those big, big, calf eyes or those big cow eyes. And this guy has compassion for this um, goat. And he can't kill it. He's got metta. He's got um, uh, happiness in his mind. He, He can't kill when his mind is in that state. And so he doesn't kill the goat right then. Maybe he tells him to take it someplace else. In fact, he may put that knife away and never kill another goat. If it hit him hard enough, the insight that he's killing things in a in a silly ceremony. So, um, and and by the way, by the by the time is the goat's dead, the, the the don't the goat doesn't care how formal the ceremony was. <laughs>
2: um,
0: so that's that's an example then of the, of the precepts as not precepts but as the situation right here in the present moment. And so if your mind is noble, like that uh, rabbi's mind became noble right then, right there, he couldn't kill. This uh, This is very interesting because I
1: feel like when I've tried to engage the Eightfold Noble Path, I've tried to establish rules and rituals and concepts about how i should behave um and it
0: sounds like all of that's been hogwash yes that's a very very good word for um western buddhism the question is is this clean water with soap before the hog gets washed or is this uh the, the soapy water after the hog is washed and how dirty was the hog when we washed him? But in general, the idea is, is that hogwash is something that we don't want to do anymore. We don't want to use it anymore. Okay, so um, let's go back to the Eightfold Noble Path, because in fact, the way that we've been talking, we've only talked about three of the items, which is sati, to wake up, ditty, to look, investigate. Check out, is this thought wholesome or not? Check out how do we feel? Check out what the body is doing, et cetera, like that. When we take the right effort, then, to make a change, over and over and over again, we do develop some super. We do develop satisfaction. And when that satisfaction is developing over and over and over again, this is what gives rise to the confidence that I was mentioning before, that I can do this. I can clean up my mind. No matter what happens, I can come out of it. No matter the situation. But in fact, I could wake up laying on a gurney, being wheeled down the hospital corridor. How am I going to feel? What am I going to think? We've got choices here. We can we can have the thoughts of oh no what happened oh poor me oh I'm going to die. Or we can have the thought, oh wow, I guess they're going to take care of me pretty well. Your choice, what kind of thoughts are you going to have? Mm -hmm. Up to you, that's the whole idea then in in this regard. Now this is also, now the fourth step on the Eightfold Noble Path that is called uh, is It's often translated into right thought, which is not a good translation or right intention, which is closer. But I give you the, uh, the the definition of right attitude, that we start off in our life right, our, with the attitude of being a victim, and what we're practicing here through the success of coming back into sukkah over and over again to change our mind over and over again and get this success, we now begin to change our attitude From being the attitude of a loser to the attitude of a winner. And that first knowledge is the one that I mentioned was that I can do this. I can clean out my mind. No matter how much garbage it gets filled with, I can throw that. When I remember, I can throw that stuff out and come back to the present moment. Even if I have to do that 30 times got something on my mind and I recognize I don't want to have it on my mind. I throw it out. Here it comes. I throw it out again. Here it comes. I throw it out again. Here it comes. Now what am I going to do? Am I going to succumb to it? Oh, poor me. I can't throw it out of my mind or I want to say, out you go again. I threw you out once. I can get rid of you again. I did. I was getting along without you before you came in. I can get along without you now. Out you go. All right. The Buddha had the, um, the term, aha. I see you, Myra. Mm. Aha, I see you, Myra. Which means now that we're going to start making friends with our worst aspects, the very worst part of us that we want to hide from others, the terrible things we've done in in the past, the banks we've robbed, people we've killed people we've insulted, all of that kind of stuff that we've ever done in our past will come up to haunt us from time to time. And so we don't want that stuff to come up anymore because we feel bad when it does. So we don't like to be thought of as making mistakes. Our society doesn't tolerate mistakes. In fact, what our society tolerates especially through the education system is for us to know even if you have to guess and guess wrong. Guessing wrong is better than not knowing. You don't like being, you don't like being in the state of doubt. Mm-hmm. And so, what we do now is that we do
2: know.
0: All right. Pick up your toy. Do your homework. Learn We can't hear you very well. Pardon? We can't hear you very well. I don't know if the
1: yeah.
0: Okay, here's yeah. now, how is it now? Is yeah. yeah. Okay, now if you have trouble hearing, uh please tell me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we we start off in nurturing and then we switch into criticism and we remain critical of ourselves and others the rest of our lives as as part of the uh society that we grew up in. Is to have critical thinking. In fact, you can see it on television often that they advertise critical thinking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're both ...to crit- criticize everything we're, that you hear.
1: We're both we're both teachers, so we're part of the problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, <laughs> so now we need to to do it the other way, and that is to go back to the nurturing. Mm -hmm. to go back and start nurturing ourselves. Nurturing ourselves as if we were already okay, rather than nurturing ourselves uh, because we're bad, because uh, we're under the weight of the criticism. In other words, the way to say it is, um, love yourself, warts and all. In fact, love the warts even more. Look at those things. Really get in touch with your worst nature because you're not going to be able to fix your worst nature if you don't know it very well. I don't want to know about how bad I've been and how bad I can be. But now we're changing all of that into I'm okay already. This is all right. So we begin to have the attitude of friendship and nurturing. Another way of talking about it, there's a Simon and Garfunkel song called The Sound of Silence. Have you ever heard of that song? Yeah, of course. It's called Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. Right. Uh, When I was a teenager and heard that, I thought that that meant that we take our guitar and we go in and turn the lights off in our bedroom and we feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, we can take it in this other way of saying hello, darkness, whenever our own darkness comes up. We can see it clearly so that we can change it. And the changes that we're making actually is to nourish it rather than to criticize it, to start finding out the worst aspects of yourself and then saying, that's okay, you're all right. You made it here. Think of it like this. No matter how bad things you've done in your past, it didn't kill you. You're mm-hmm. still here. You're alive. So whatever happened in the past was good enough to get you to this present moment. So congratulate yourself, warts and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the major attitude now that we're changing from being a victim with warts that have to be hidden into being a champion, being a winner, being a lion. The Buddha was known as a lion. Mm. This attitude we're talking about of the sama sankapa that's right there on the eightfold noble path but most people don't understand they immediately jump to the precepts, which got nothing to do with um what we're talking about here we're, here we're talking about actually changing the mind now when we have these four things what for sati to remember to be in the present moment and then to do an investigation to see what's going on and then make a change to it <coughs> to improve things and then number four to congratulate ourselves hey we got this Just when we have these four things the fifth thing naturally arises on its own which is called sama samati and the word samati here actually means organization the right organization of the right unification of mind does not need concentration that in fact Western Buddhism has gotten all attached to this word concentration and they'll sit in meditation and go into a funky state or maybe get drowsy or maybe going into daydreams or something really weird and they'll call that concentration Been there, but the, but the zen stick proves otherwise what is the Zen stick? You know, in the Zen dojo, they have the Zen stick and the master comes by. Why? Who gets hit? That's the, the, the drowsy, the, the, the person the, falls asleep. The one who does not know that the uh, meditation master is right behind him. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you knew that the meditation master was right behind you with that stick, would you change your posture at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we have to change our posture. It's like here, here's my shoulder. Beat me. <laughs> and and so that means that we're paying attention. We're here now. We're in the present moment. This is what the Buddha teaches. He does not teach concentration. It teaches being in the present moment with all of the faculties gathered together. The samati mind means that we're no longer in conflict. We're no longer in a mental dialogue. We're no longer in a sad state. That we've got it. We've got it stuffed together. And so that, back in the 1970s, I don't know if you guys have have, ever heard this statement, but we used to talk about it like this when we were doing psychotherapy. You got to get your shit together. Have you ever heard that? Oh, of course. Well, that's what we're talking about. We got to get our shit together. <laughs> and, and we know exactly how to do that now is by changing each thought one at a time and then get a big kick out of it. Wow, look how good I'm doing now. I can I can do this, right? And so we begin to get our stuff together. That in fact, I found out that once I got all of my shit together, I had to stay there because it was too heavy to carry around.
1: <laughs>
0: that's a lot of shit. and 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 so in that regard we actually need to dump a lot of stuff to get rid of it to throw it out especially the stuff that makes us feel bad we want to be lightweight so once we get our shit together we begin to throw stuff out so here's the two points Knowledge and deliverance. The Anapanasati Sutta has this, and so does the, uh, the great 40, which is the, um, uh, the one that we've been discussing most here today on um, uh, the Eightfold Noble Path, is we have knowledge and then deliverance. Once we get our shit together, we'll know what needs to be thrown out. And so the whole idea of the Sotapan is the one who is really, really super dedicated. To keeping his shit together and throwing his stuff out. Eager. Um, dedicated. Uh, joyful. These are the, uh, the states of the, of the fruit of Sodapan. That in fact, uh, the knowledge that no matter how obstructed the mind gets, I can throw that stuff out. The Buddha says that that's the first step. It's the first knowledge that is noble, super mundane a part of the path, and is not held by ordinary people. Mm. Okay. Mm. It is super mundane, it is noble, it is part of the path, and it is not shared by ordinary people. In fact, this is the difference now between the beginning of the noble path and ordinary people, is ordinary people are still looking for help. They're still looking for a teacher they're still looking for a mommy or a god or a daddy or something like that our meditation master who someone who could do Shaktipat, who could come in and go wacko and now we feel good. Uh-huh. Maybe it's a karma machine after I put in a hundred thousand hours of meditation the common machine's going to waltz in do some Shaktipot and now I can feel good okay we're looking for events. We're taught this you can't feel good until you buy that car you want. You can't feel good until you get your diploma. You can't feel good until you do this, that, and the other thing. And the reality is, is that none of that stuff actually matters. That's part of that issue about external sources rather than coming in from the inside. And so once we recognize I can do it myself, the first thing we have to know is I have to do it myself because I ain't nobody else going to do it for me buying that new car I'm going to feel good for a little while until that first payment or the first dent and now all of a sudden I don't love that car quite as much as I did before so it ain't the car that makes me feel good it's something that I did inside anyway and so now we recognize that that's my responsibility is to change my mind so that I can feel the way that I want to feel and when we feel the way that we want to feel we feel good and we like it and that gives us confidence. And that confidence grows into the unification of the mind. Now, when the mind is noble, after the mind is noble, then we're unlikely to go harm anyone because we don't want anything. And so that's the way that we can really look at the precepts. The precepts actually are the outcome of a noble mind, not the cause of the creation of it. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so whenever you're about to commit a bad act, wakey-wakey, right here, right now, ask yourself, am I going to have a noble mind right now, or am I going to create this new pile of shit? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so this is the Eightfold Noble Path, and we also practice it through Anapanasati. Many, many years ago, I think it was like in the 1940s or so, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa made the public statement, and he caused yet another kerfuffle in Thailand when he says that the Buddha only taught one kind of meditation. Only one, Anapanasati. And they went through a lot of research over that, and came to find out, yeah, that's the case. The Buddha only gave one practice for the Eightfold Noble Path. And surprisingly enough, uh, the, uh, the Eightfold Noble Path is number 117 in the Majjhima Nikaya, and Anapanasati is number 118 in the Anapanasati Sutta. Uh, number 118. And so they're twin suttas, and they go right, they're right there together in the um, uh, the suttas. So, uh, next time when you call, we'll talk about Anapanasati. Today I've just been playing with it just a little bit like the Sukha is not mentioned in the um, Eightfold Noble Path, but is the primary point in um, the Anapanasati Sutta of, of being able to control your feelings. Mm-hmm. Because most people are out of control. They feel the way that they were supposed to feel when they were kids. We feel the way that we were trained to feel. And and because of that, we always feel the way that we want to feel. We just are using the wrong criteria for that choice. Like we choose to feel the way that I used to feel because that's easy enough. I already know how to feel that way. Feeling good is unusual. I'm not so skilled at feeling good until I practice it. And once you practice feeling good, now you've got a new choice.
1: Can I? So both of us feel probably an immense amount of gratitude. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, We'd love to um, (laughs) send send, send an offering. No, like if you, is there, do you take donations?
0: Do you, for for your time or? That's a complicated story. And and, um, the complication is, is that I don't want any of your money, but I do want your time. That works. Okay, and we'll talk about what time you can spend. The first part of the time that you can spend is getting your mind straightened out. Make me feel good by being successful at what we're talking about here. Sure. I've already had money, and that doesn't make me feel all that great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well. Just a little bit, just a a little dab will do you, and after that, you get drowned in it. (laughs) Um,
1: one, one other, like last question, this is uh, because we, we will wrap up just the, the, and maybe this is my own hindrances or my own unwholesome thoughts, but I have a, a tension with the, the, the idea of like choice, making all of these choices, um, like choosing to have the right attitude, um, and then with some experiences I've had of, I guess you might call them like selflessness or just just not feeling like as contracted. Um, do you do you think that there's any conflict between you know this this idea of making choices um, in, in in your in your own attitude in your in your mood and and the the
0: insight of anatta? Actually, all the conflicts that you will have you created, so you can ask yourself the question, why should I create a conflict when I can enjoy myself instead? So we can talk about this at another time, but I would say that anatta is a kind of a side issue. It's not really all of that important, and yet it's made overly important in Western Buddhism, partly due to bad translations. Okay, and let's talk about it later in detail. But right now, we can say that anatta does not necessarily mean no self or it doesn't exist or whatever like that. The complications are uh, easily resolved by stop using the word self and start using the word selfish. When you are selfish, there's a self. When you are clinging to it, there is a klingor who is doing the clinging on the cling-on, little Star Trek. To the <laughs> there. So, when you're clinging, that's the you. When you're not clinging to anything, when you're not selfish, where's the self that's doing the selfishness? So, if somebody uh, comes to you, a brother comes to you and says, please loan me $500, if you think you're, to yourself, oh, I need that money then I'm going to say no to him. And then everybody feels bad. I feel bad because I'm poor already. And he just reminded me of how poor I am and I'm going to tell him no. And so he has to do without yes uh, without without But if I say, yes, I've got the money here you go. Then he'll feel good because he needs the money and I'll feel good because I feel wealthy enough to let it go. So it's a win-win situation. One of them is selfish. The selfish is is that I say no and then I'm feeling selfish and so is he if I say yes here's the money then I'm not selfish and neither is he and so that's the win-win situation but does it does the self exist like it was a big ball of fur that sat between the spleen and the diaphragm let's not go into magical thinking because we already know that that's not possible that in fact selfishness comes up from time to time based upon circumstances you can see that therefore you can also understand that the self that is the selfishness also is temporary it arises in certain conditions and it it's not there in other conditions Mm -hmm. so if you had an experience or you think that you know what kind of experience you want then that's selfishness i want that experience but if you're there saying, I've already got everything that I need, isn't this really nice? Then I don't see any selfishness. In fact, there's abundance. You feel wealthy. You feel rich. So selfishness actually um, is, you know, tight, contracted. Things are not good enough. And we think of only ourself in that regard to where when, when we're wealthy... Then we think of altruism, we think of our community, we think of our friends, etc. like that. Then in fact, sometimes we're so selfish that we won't even see ourselves as a friend. And so that's the short answer. The short answer is let's use the word selfishness to understand this thing rather than thinking that there is a self that is either there or not there. That it's a temporary condition based upon situational and circumstantial things. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. That was amazing. Yeah, it was very, I really appreciate how simple and practical all that knowledge feels.
0: Yes, that's the whole point. That Western Buddhism wants to make it magical, airy-fairy. There's a whole lot of impossibilities and all that kind of stuff. And when we cut all through that, it comes right down to the basic teachings of the Buddha. is very simple to practice. And I'll leave you with one And that it, it has to be done over and, over and over and over and over and over again. Because we have been talking ourselves into feeling bad over and over and over again for years. And so those habits are deep. So I'll leave you with this joke. The entire teachings of the Buddha is printed on the back of every shampoo bottle in 7-Eleven or at Walmart. Yeah, the shampoo bottles have the entire teachings of the Buddha. And what is that? It says rinse and repeat. (laughs)
2: That's
0: the entire teachings of the Buddha, to rinse and repeat. (laughs) Clean your mind and then clean it again and then clean it again and then clean it again. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. That's the whole teaching. And so that's the last thing that I leave with you today.
2: (laughs) That will definitely stick.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys. Nice to meet you. Uh, Thank you. So when when would you call back again? Uh, I'll probably call you tomorrow. Uh give me a couple of days, okay? Uh I'm thinking about twice a week would be good. Okay. Yeah, we'll call you. Okay. We'll call you in a few days. All right. Excellent.
2: Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you.
0: Bye. Joanne, see you. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you so much. <laughs>